Whether you're a pro athlete, an exhausted parent, or spend all day in an office chair, CBDMD wants to give you the support you need to make it through the day. CBD Freeze and Recover are an outstanding duo of topical products with specialized formulas to provide targeted relief where it matters most. And to make it even easier to try Freeze, Recover, and every other CBDMD product, you can take 25% off your next order when you use the promo code NBA at checkout. That's CBDMD.com with the promo code NBA for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD products from CBDMD. What up, world? Pass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You listen to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Got a fun show for you today. It is going to be our second mailbag episode of the week. These are spillovers from Mailbag Monday. I don't have the branding yet. So this is just more Mailbag Monday, more mailbag for you. If you've got good branding for a second mailbag episode, Tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich, or send me an email, LockdownBlazerspot at gmail.com. Those addresses, the Twitter handle, at Mike G. Rich, and the email address, LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com, are the ways that you get in touch with me if you want to send in a question for the show. Mailbag Monday, as you may be familiar or have guessed by now, is a weekly mailbag segment that I record on Mondays and post on Tuesdays, but... It- it's gotten a little too big and I want to make sure I still get to all of your questions. So we're moving forward, starting this week, starting literally with this episode, we're going to have two mailbags a week. Uh, The first one's still going to say the same posting on Tuesdays. The second one, I'll just kind of, I'm going to have to fit it in based on when the games are and when I do interviews each week. So it's not going to be standard, but it won't be Tuesday and it probably won't be Wednesday, but later in the week. And I'll just let you know um, based on how it, how it works. We'll, uh, we'll figure it out on the fly. Uh, the mailbag episodes are a ton of fun, so I don't want to I don't want to skimp on them. I just want to make sure that they fit into the schedule and flow of an NBA season. So thanks for sticking with me. Like I said, Mike at Mike G Rich, locked on at gmail.com are the two ways to get involved. Let's get right into it. I'm recording this on Thursday evening. The Blazers just had their signature win of the season, perhaps. Certainly one of their best ones. 118-114 over the Philadelphia 76ers. Carmelo Anthony, 17 of his 24 points in the fourth quarter, including a the game-winning free throws with 3.1 seconds left. The Philadelphia 76ers had the ball with the chance to tie or take the lead, but Robert Covington deflected the inbounds pass. The Blazers got a win and a really impressive one at that. And I know maybe you're asking now, like, Mike, didn't you just say this was a mailbag episode? Why are you recapping the Sixers game? Well, I want to use, I want to talk about this game, but I want to use a, a question that I got from listener Nathan about a week ago, a little over a week ago, who asks, big picture wise, when you were looking at the best case and worst case scenarios just before the season started, do you think any of the any of the best case related scenarios are now unattainable given how the season has played out? I say no because we can still get the five or six seed uh, and to round two, which is where we will bow out to one of the LA teams. That was our destiny anyway. And I don't think that anything anything of what we've seen so far has any bearing on the Blazers' ability to beat one of the LA teams in the playoffs. So this was a week ago. This was prior to the Blazers' first game against Philly, right? This was um, right after, right on the heels of a, of a bad loss in Milwaukee and kind of an ugly win over the Wizards. Since then, they've beaten the Sixers, uh, had a had a kind of gross loss against the Knicks, beaten a really bad Magic team unconvincingly, and now won their best game of the season against a a fully healthy, really good Sixers team at home. 
on a night where Damian Lillard went 6 for 21 from the floor. He missed 15 shots, y'all. Dame is really good, so he still finished with 30 and 7 on a de- on an off night. Like he played poorly, a dude had 30 and 7. It's um He's great. That's what great players do. But the Blazers won this game because their bench was fantastic. Their bench dominated Philly's bench. So to answer Nathan's question here, it's I don't think anything's changed in their best case, worst case scenarios. Like this, the whole the whole thing they were that they needed to do after after CJ and Nurk went down was just kind of stay afloat, keep it keep it right around 500, win about, win every other game or, or, you know, whatever, it averages out to every other game, get to the halfway point of the season, a couple games north of five, of the 500 mark, stay in that sort of seven, eight, nine range in the West, get, get the troops back and roll forward. They're better than that now though. Like they're just, they're on a better trajectory that I, I don't think um, that you can say like, Hey, th- th- they won, they won at Philly and Carmelo Anthony was really good. So here's how it's going to go. But they everything's on the table. I mean, they're 14 and 10 and they're fifth in the West. They're they're a half game clear of the sixth place Spurs, and they're only a game clear of the eighth place Warriors. Uh Warriors and Nuggets are tied right there at seventh and eighth. Like they're they're still, as they sit here today, two games out of tenth. They're three games out of third. They're much closer to tenth than they are to third place. So it's they gotta keep doing it. But I don't think anything that's happened would change my opinion of sort of best case worst case scenarios i have been pretty clear on this and i want to state it here i think the blazers best case scenario is that they make the western conference finals and lose to the lakers i don't think they can beat the lakers in a playoff series i think they can beat every other team in the nba in a playoff series now would i pick them no of course not i'm a known pessimist but uh i don't if they're fully healthy they're capable of beating every other team in the league except for the except every other team in the west except la uh, they just that they don't have a way to guard Anthony Davis and LeBron James, and they don't have a way to consistently score against that Laker defense. But I don't think nothing that has happened has made me think that the Blazers' best case scenario is, at, is out of the picture. In fact, Gary Trent Jr. has stepped up in CJ McCollum's absence. Uh, Anthony Simons, although he's been up and down, has has looked more towards the upside, more towards that up end of his scenario. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, even though he had an absolute clunker against uh, his former team, the New York Knicks, has scored 20 points in three of his last four games. He was fantastic against a really good Sixers team. Now, he did it in somewhat unsustainable ways. He just got super hot and started making three-pointers. He had a really tough fadeaway. Like, this this wasn't like... um, this this wasn't this was him operating outside the system and just going to get a bucket. But, I mean, that's what he does. He's Carmelo Anthony. So... I, I'm, I'm with you, Nathan. I might have a little slightly higher opinion of where the Blazers sort of best case and worst case scenarios is. But after this win at Philly, to be where they are heading into another home game uh, Friday night against the Cleveland Cavaliers, I, I think best case scenarios on the table and they're probably ahead of what my expectations would be post CJ and Nurk getting hurt, you know, um, the three and three on that road trip. And then to start this mini homestand with two wins, including one of their best wins of the season against a Philly team that had won uh, seven of their last 10 was eight, 18 and eight. They were 18 and seven coming into this game. They were, they were, you know, clearly the best team in the East uh, record wise uh, when, when Philly was fully whole, when they, when they had all their, all their starters together, that's Seth Curry, Danny Green, Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid. They were 14 and 0 entering the night. They get 14 and one now. So I don't want to overreact to this game, but I want to say this. 
the Blazers won a game in which their star played poorly. They to to go back to the Dameless minutes thing that I've been harping on, the the Blazers bench in 12 minutes the Dame was on the bench. The the his teammates outscored Philly by 12. That's the formula. The bench dominated a team. So uh while I while they're certainly would be better if they had if they were a little deeper and had a healthy had a healthier roster. Um, nothing about the way the last two weeks has gone has made me feel this sort of deep deep sense of doom. Um, I have I'm never someone who set who you know starts talking about championships parade championship parades with this team, but I I am not. Um, I never really started to panic. I was always just trying to say, hey, they're kind of okay. They're you know trying to be patient, and then they after this win, it's like. They, they've rewarded your patience if you've had it and certainly my patience by just like looking more competent and, and winning a game when Dame doesn't have to drag them across the finish line is a really big step forward. So I certainly the best case scenario is on the table. Nothing, nothing that has happened in the last two weeks makes those things unattainable, Nathan. I think you're 100% correct. Okay, so that was one segment and just one question. We're gonna we're gonna get to more. I got I got more. That's just uh, I wanted to talk about this Philly game, and Nathan gave us a window in which to do that. So more questions come, and we'll continue this bonus mailbag episode. But before we get there, I want to tell y'all about Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Simple as that. Look, the NFL's done. Super Bowls Super Bowls wrapped up. But the NBA, ba- NBA basketball is here every single night. College hoops, NHL, all of them are in full swing. Plus, Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. They got real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Plus, Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head over to betonline.ag. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your mobile device. Sign up today and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit when you use the promo code Locked On. Again, that's betonline.ag. The promo code is Locked On. You'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Here at Lockdown Blazers, we got you covered for all things Portland basketball. But you might be asking, Mike, what about the rest of the sports? Well, look, the Lockdown Podcast Network has you covered there as well because they launched the Locked On Today podcast hosted by the great Peter Bukowski. It's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. So make sure you subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you already get podcasts. All right, let's keep it rolling with this mailbag episode. This next question comes from Jacob who asks, do assists really matter, or do we just count them because we can? So my gut here, Jacob, is that assists don't matter because, um, not that they don't matter. I think you know it when you see it. You say, that, damn, that was a good pass. But I don't always think the most important pass of the possession is the pass that immediately leads to the basket, right? Like the maybe the pass that switches sides of the court and changes where people's eyes are and allows a cut to go through, or that first pass that gets a guy out into space and allows him to, uh, you know, him to cause the defense to have to react and then and then an assist from there happens because of that first pass that like found the weakness so 
in general, I, I think assists are overrated. I, not, not that passing is overrated. Not that I love passing. I'm the pass first point guard, y'all. But I think I think the counting number assists are maybe a little misleading. But I went deeper. I went deeper because I'm a nerd, and I figure that um, many of you out there appreciate some of my nerd tendencies. I looked back at the last five seasons and to the best offenses in the NBA over the last five seasons to see where they ranked in just assists per game. Uh, I was going to do raw assists, but uh, in the bubble year last year, teams played different number of games, so it wasn't it doesn't make exact sense. Uh, so I went with assists per game. I don't think this is a perfect methodology looking at the top offensive ratings in the league and then assists per game totals, but this was the way that I could do it quickly in preparation for this show, and I think it does paint a picture on how basically there's just a lot of ways to do it. Last year, Dallas had the best offense in the history of the NBA points per possession-wise. They were 13th in the NBA in assists. Only one team in the top five in offense was also in the top five in assists last season. That was the Denver Nuggets. The Lakers, or excuse me, the Clippers had the second best offense in the league. They were 22nd in assists. The Blazers were the third best offense in the league, 30th in assists. And the Celtics, fourth best offense in the league, 25th. Teams... Low low assist teams, really efficient offenses because you you can just, they got guys who can score. Kawhi and Paul George can score. Dame and CJ can score. Uh, you know, Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker really, really could score last year. If you go back a season before, the Warriors had the number one offense in the league. They led the league in assists. So there, you could say assists equals, the, the you know, an elite, elite offense. But Houston, the number two offense in the league, 28th in assists. There's a lot of different ways to do it. The Blazers, again, were third in offense in 2018-19, 25th in the league in assists. Over the last five seasons, the Golden State Warriors have been the have been a top five offense for those last five years. They weren't last year because that team sucked. And each one of those years, they led the NBA in assists per game. But typically, typically, there was not a strong correlation between elite offenses and passing. Houston was the best offense in 2019. They were 26th. OKC was the second best offense in 2015-16. They were 10th in the league assists. Toronto was the fifth best offense in the league. They were 29th. What I'm saying is, I think assists matter, like in terms of you can watch it and see it. Good basketball. Oh, they're playing good basketball. It's easier to score off an assist, et cetera, et cetera. You know, catch and shoot threes are easier than off the dribble threes, things like that. You can just see that. But in terms of it mattering in the box score or being predictive of like capital G good offense, I don't think so. I, I think assists are overrated and we and we count them because we can, Jacob. I, I, I would tend to agree with you. Uh, I love good passing, so I, I'm not dismissing the assist in general, but I do think um, in terms of using that stat as a way to say offense good or offense bad is um, is misleading. All right, next question comes from David who asks, we talk a lot about the shrinking championship window, that's capital C, capital W, with Damon CJ. I've been assuming that the window slams shut after next season, 2021-2022, because of their age contracts. Do you agree that 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 is when the window closes? So I think I agree with you in general um, that the window is shrinking quickly because in gen- just like for any team, not just the Blazers, but any team, the, whatever you think the championship window is, it's always shorter, right? Like it's whatever, you know, you look at the 
2012 Oklahoma City Thunder make the NBA Finals with that group. Uh, they have not been back since. They made one Western Conference Finals since. That championship window seemed like a decade. Um, it changed drastically in 12 months. Uh, that's like an extreme example. But even the Warriors, who were so dominant for five years, when their championship window closed, it closed. And they were bad. Um, I think they're a good team this year, but they're very, 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 very far away from championship quality, right? They're like a they're like a competitive, low-level playoff team. So, um, yeah, I, I think that the Blazers' window is, is, is going to close quickly because of age and because of uh, the... The like you said the the growing contracts of Damon CJ um, without maybe the same growth of the salary cap and the salary curve be, behind that. Um, but I think a lot of sort of what their championship window will be will be determined by the growth of other guys. Like what if Gary Trent Jr. continues this ascent? What if Anthony Simons really pops and is a star? What if what if Nurk gets healthy and is really good for two straight seasons? Like I think you can, I think it gets harder. I think it gets a lot harder, but slam shut is probably... Um, slam shot's probably too too bold for me like i don't think they're a championship team right now even if they were fully healthy so like i don't think they like quote unquote championship window i'm not sure they they're in one right now but there's sort of chances to be absolutely as competitive as they can possibly be i would agree are over the next this season and next like that's i'm with you i'm with you there next question comes from glk who offers two trades first blazers get brad beal and a bench warmer and the wizards get cj mccollum Ron Collins, who GLK refers Zach Collins as Ron Collins because he wishes it was Atlanta's John Collins, one first and one second. Sorry, GLK, but the Wizards hang up the phone, dog, and they laugh at you and then they block your phone number. When Brad Beal gets traded, he's going to get traded for the James Harden package. And that's like two really good young players in Karis LeVert and uh, Jared Allen and seven draft picks. Not one first and one second. Hell no. And why do they want C.J. McCollum, who's older than Brad Beal and not as good, and on a more onerous contract? Hell no. No. Sorry. Trade number two from GOK. The Blazers get Carl Anthony Towns and Malik Beasley, and the Timberwolves get C.J. McCollum, Yusuf Nurkic, C.J. Ellaby, one first and two seconds. This probably still isn't enough. Um... I don't. Th- they're not going to block your number and laugh at you on this one, but they are going to say no very quickly. Um, Yusuf Nurkic is just not on the level of Carl Anthony Towns. I, I do think CJ and Nurk helps get you closer. You're much closer on this one. Uh, and taking on Malik Beasley's contract, which is is pretty big and not um, <laughs> doesn't look great uh, early in its you know what are we 25 games into this new Malik, Malik Beasley deal with the Wolves, but. Um, you know, Carl Anthony Downs, again, he's 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 like a, I think he's a star that's like just shy of the Harden deal, just shy of the Paul George deal, just shy of what I assume the Brad Beal deal will be when he's traded. Like, it's not going to be, the T-Wolves are not going to want a 30-year-old C.J. McCollum who's under contract for, until 2024, and Nurk who is, you know, has some has some health issues and is probably not a top 10 player in his position or is at least like arguably a top 10 player in his position, probably like right right in there. He's probably like seven, eight, nine, honestly, when I really think about it. But um, I just don't think this is close enough to get done. I think this is I think these are both no's. Uh, you're, you're a little closer with Towns. I don't understand why the T-Wolves would want to give up um, on Towns to get CJ McCollum, but you're getting you're getting there. Blazers don't, it's, 
let me answer this next question, then I'll talk a little wider about trades. Andy asks, any chance you can find a trade pa- trade package for DeMontis Sabonis to Portland? Seems like Portland doesn't really have a trade package that would work, and not sure if he and Nurk would play well together, but his play for the last year plus has been outstanding. It would be fun to get a glimpse into what the Arvidas kid into what Arvidas's kid could do wearing the same uniform. Yeah, I mean DeMontis Sabonis has, has been balling. He's so good. Um yeah, I don't. I can't imagine that if if they move off Sabonis, that they're going to want CJ McCollum or to Yusuf Nurkic because CJ McCollum and uh, Malcolm Brogdon doesn't seem like sort of like a a great future backcourt. CJ McCollum and Karis Levert maybe is is a sexy backcourt if in some eyes, but to me it doesn't seem super appealing. Um, and Nurk trading for Nurk, like pairing him with Miles Turner, doesn't really work either. Uh, I, it's hard for me to see a situation where the Blazers have the goods. And I think this goes back to GLK's deal thing is GLK's offers too, is like the, just making a deal for a star with what the Blazers currently have, which is Dame, you're not trading, right? He's your, he's your cornerstone. So it's like Nurk, Zach Collins, Gary Trent's expiring deal, Anthony Simons, um, and they can't trade a first round pick until 2023. So you're talking 23, 25, 27 is the, is the picks you can trade. I just don't think I, like that would that would be you know three first round picks would be overpay for Sabonis even though he's awesome I really love him as a player uh, but they just don't they don't really have the parts to make um, this big blockbuster trade Neil's better at small trades anyways so let's just let him figure that out but I it's it, it, as currently constructed and with the with the players they have it's, it's it's hard for them to put together like a really really big trade and for me I would classify Beal. Certainly Beal and Cat and, and Sabonis, I think, almost certainly, because he's going to be an all-star for the second straight year this year. Um, I would Those are all big trades to me. Okay, next question is from I am Howley at BRG underscore Maui, who asks, what's the over-under in which you would re-sign Trent Jr.? What's too much money? So part of me thinks that the Blazers cap situation is messy enough that you just kind of pay Gary Trent Jr. whatever it is. But I, but I, I kind of think the number is like 60000 or 60000 <laughs> Um Yeah, I think he's going to make more than that, y'all. $60 million? Like, I think it's four for four for 60 is when you start to be like, okay, hold on. because Just because, like... It's hard to play him next to Damon CJ, and and if you don't know that he can play next to Damon CJ, playing a paying big big money to a guy who has to come off the bench, um, and is like questionable whether he can close games seems a little dicey. So I think one of the important things is get CJ healthy, play Gary next to Damon CJ, figure out what that looks like and if that's useful, and then it kind of sets the tone. Like sixty five million wouldn't be I wouldn't be like four for sixty four if 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 he gets that, which I think is totally realistic. I wouldn't say hell no, but I would it would start to be like, okay, what like how does Gary Trent fit in the puzzle? If you know he fits in the puzzle, if you know he can play next to your two stars, um he's really good, and I would just give him the money. Uh, I think honestly, I'll push it up from sixty now that i'm I'm thinking through this. i'll I'll say I had sixty written down, but now i'm I'm now that I say this out loud and hear my own voice, I'll say seventy million. I think seventy million is about the number where I start to say that's you know four for seventy is probably too much. Um, or at least like gives me real pause. But like go into the luxury tax, spend all you can, be the absolute best team you can be over the next two seasons. and then, and then blow it up if you have to. Like, absolutely go all in. As David mentioned, go in on this championship window as 
as as hard as you possibly can while Dame is as good as he is. And then if you have to blow it up and, and shed salary later, do it. Figure out what that looks like in the future. But for now, keep your good players. Retain as much talent. Get as much talent on this team as you can. And then figure it out after that. All right, let's come back in the third segment. Close out the show with more of your questions on this bonus mailbag episode. But before we get there, I want to tell y'all about Built Bar. Look, usually in this space, I just, I just, I keep it real with y'all and tell you that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. And look, that's what it is. They're delicious. But I got to tell y'all, I got a box of the coconut brownie chunk flavor of Built Bars. I got five of them. They didn't last long. I love these things. <laughs> I crush these things. Um, they're just, they're, it's just a delicious flavor. All the, all I, enjoy, I've enjoyed pretty much every single Bilt Bar I've tried, but coconut brownie chunk is a whole new level of delicious. Um, the brownie chunks are good. I'm not even a big coconut guy and I love the bar. Uh, they're, they just rock. It's dark chocolate, coconut, and real brownie chunks. It, they're, they're great. <laughs> they're, they're really, really fantastic. Uh, listen, in that bar, you're getting 15 grams of protein. It's 150 calories, 7 grams of sugar. But all the bars, every, every one of these bars, it's high protein, high fiber, low-calorie, low low-sugar. They taste great. This one tastes particularly great, but they're all really good, and they're good for you. Delicious and nutritious. Go get yourself some. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off your next order. It's BuiltBar.com for 20% off when you use the promo code LOCKEDON. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listen to Locked On Blazers. If you like this show, why don't you check out Locked On NBA on Friday's edition of Locked On NBA. It's in your feed right now. You can join Anthony Irwin of Locked On Lakers and Adam Mares of Locked On Nuggets for a wrap-up of the biggest stories around the league. Anthony and Adam bring you game recaps, weekend previews, and a weekly NBA power rankings you can't miss. So make sure you subscribe to Locked On NBA wherever you already get podcasts. All right, let's, let's, let's close out the show with the end of your questions for the week. This next one comes from Scott at Scott PTB30 on Twitter, who asks, wanted to push back a little bit on the idea that Robert Covington is a better help than on-ball defender. That's true. And the Blazers, and that the Blazers need a better point-of-attack defender. In theory, that's true. In practice, it's tough because Dame and CJ play so many minutes, and it's not hard for most NBA teams to make one of them defend the primary action. And if you can get Gary Trent Jr. or... Derek Jones Jr. on the primary ball handler with Nurk guarding the screener, which is great initially, you are left with undersized Dame CJ in the help position. And those are your best closing lineups. My question is, is it likely that a Dame CJ team will ever be able to defend at a championship level no matter who their teammates are within reason? And since it's hard to hide both of them, isn't it better to surround them with as many high IQ team defenders as possible? And pray, yeah. Um, that's honestly, this is this is really a really smart question. Uh, this is I, I basically said that Robert Covington was sort of not overrated, but sort of miscast as a on-ball stopper and his better help defender. Like he just is. He's he, that's what he is. Um, and I think Scott agrees there. But Scott's pushback is important. That maybe um, the Blazers' roster construction is specifically ex- saying 
point of attack defense is important for us, but if at our peak, Damon C.J. are going to be on the court and NBA teams are going to target one of them, they're going to put them in pick and roll actions or they're going to force switches and, and until until they can get one of them and go at them. So what you want to do is just have more smart, high IQ defenders. I think that's true in really high leverage situations. Like I think that's true at the, at the, in the playoffs when teams can like have a really specific scout, really specific game plan. I think it's, and, and, you know, games get down to three possessions or whatever, six possessions to decide a game. But I think during the regular season, a better point of attack defender is crucial. Um, it's kind basically, I'm starting to believe, and I, I think I've, I've believed this over the last year, but now it's really zeroing in is that the playoff basketball is just, it's like a different sport. Um, you just, you just need to, you need different, you need different things when you get there. And, and I think your point might be right, Scott, is that Dame and CJ, if you play them together, that you might not be able to play at the highest level, um, of championship basketball, just because you can't, you can't defend the way you need to with enough big, versatile, fast defenders that can guard multiple spots when you have two, six, three guards in there. Uh, and the Blazers are. Obviously, they need to play those two dudes. Um, so, yeah. So, I, I think I think I agree all the way around. Except that my I think my point here is that the Blazers are not at a they're not at a stage roster construction wise where they're thinking about how do we win a championship. They're thinking about how do we get home court advantage in the playoffs, and that's why I think they need a better point of a point of attack defender, a better just on ball straight up on ball point of attack defender. Because in the regular season you can get away with it because teams aren't going to hunt guys the same way. Um, I think you're 100 percent correct when you get to a, a certain a little deeper down the road, but in games you know. 27 through 72 it's 25 through 72 i guess if they're 14 and 10 you're not um it's just a little bit different and uh they could use a better they could use a better just on ball elite stopper uh than they currently have on the roster but uh scott great question and wonderful observation next question comes from eric who asks I know defense has been an issue in the past and still is this season. Watching the Blazers, though, I think all of our guys are theoretically good as system defensive players. I say this specifically because I was watching Houston, and they have guys who are not only good defensively in a system, but also able to defend well one-on-one with physicality. That seems to be a major flaw, as we simply don't have the personnel of guys who fit that bill. 100%, Eric. Eric continues. My question is, do you think guys like David Nwaba, PJ Tucker, or players with similar makeup may be available for a team like ours to acquire? I think they would help address some pretty important issues on that end of the floor while also contributing offensively. Yo, look at PJ Tucker's stats this season. Um, I'm saying that just rubbing my face because I love PJ Tucker, but he stinks this year. He stinks. Like, he can't make layups. He's, he's, he's really... Um, taking a sharp turn. Um, yeah, I think, you know, Houston without, with Christian Wood, Houston is a middle of, middle of the line, middle of the road playoff team. They're right on the level of the Blazers. Without Christian Wood, uh, who's been out for four games and the Rockets have lost four in a row, the Rockets stink. So if Christian Wood is out for a while, they might move towards blowing it up. And that means that guys like David Nwaba and PJ Tucker would be available. Um, you know, the best defender for my money on that Houston team is uh it's Jason Tate, a guy who, in, when the Blazers played the Houston in the second game of the season, I had no clue who that dude was. Um, and now I've watched the Rockets enough to be like, oh, he's good. Like, he can really defend. I don't think he's going to be on the market. Um, but I think P.J. Tucker would be a big upgrade for the Blazers. I think David Nwaba would be 
he's a tough one because I don't think he's quite good enough on offense to really be to like definitely play over Derek Jones, and he's and he's significantly smaller. So uh, he would be. I wouldn't like. I'm into that acquisition because I think he's like a competitive defensive player, but I don't think he's like. I don't think he definitely, definitely, definitely has minutes. Um, I'm a PJ Tucker guy, um, but I don't think like either of those are necessarily my Huckleberry in terms of like fixing fixing this team. They could use like a slight upgrade at the. They could use like an alternative to the Knights when uh, Melo doesn't have it at the four five. They could use Markeith Morris. He doesn't play for the Lakers right now. Um, he's like he could play small ball five. Um, he could play next to. He could provide some offense and provide some physicality. Um, PJ Tucker is in that same mold, so guys like that is for sure who who are who I would target. Next question comes from Blue, who asks, "That's B L U." And if you see the E, drop it. Blue asks, "Why do we not have a G League team? And are there any plans to get one soon? And do you think that getting one could enhance the development of our young players?" So the Blazers had a G League team. They owned one, the Idaho Stampede, and I think they got burned by it financially. And Paul Allen said, "I hate the G League because it stole all my money." Um, and also, uh, Neil Olshay just doesn't believe in the G League because he believes in developing guys in house, and they have a pretty good track record of developing guys in house. So it's hard to argue with them. The other team that doesn't have a G League a G League program is Denver Nuggets. Denver Nuggets have a really good track record of developing guys in house. Shout out to Monty Morris. Um, so yeah, I don't think there's. A, I think eventually they'll get one because I think eventually both of those teams will just join. There'll be thirty teams in the G League, and the Blazers and Nuggets will just basically force to get one. But certainly not a priority for the Blazers. Um, I'm in favor of it. Like I think that I don't know if it would enhance the development in sort of like a really sort of tangible way. Like would Anthony Simons be better if he had played year one in the G League? I I, I don't I don't know, and I I kind of don't think so. But why I'm in favor of getting a G League team is just having eight eight more dudes that you can you can have control over in terms of like just watching them play and putting them in your system and getting sort of um, data on both like number crunching data and just seeing them up close, like just watching them play. Um, you can, you can improve your team. It's just, you get, um, to steal a phrase, you get more bites at the apple. Uh, you, if you have, you know, a 15 person G league team, you have 15 options. I mean, you probably don't have that many NBA options, right? But you have say five or six of those are like real real help that you could you could call on or sort of like real real prospects that you're seeing up close and can and can learn more about so i'm in favor of them having a g league team but um they don't because they don't really they think they can do it better in-house and they've they've done a good job so i don't know i'm not going to nitpick with him next question comes from luke who asks do you think that this year with all the injuries and such that the 2k curse has struck it would, of course, be different than normal, affecting our team, not just Dame personally. But do you think it happened? Uh, so, yeah, Dame's on the cover of NBA 2K21, the uh, basketball game from 2K Sports that is out on all platforms and is like the uh, shout out to Shane Brendan, Portland Zone, who was in the advertisement for 2K. Uh, you know, Luke, th- you sent me this question before the Blazers had won a couple games. So um, I would have said no then. I certainly don't think so now. Um, the Blazers are, have been unlucky for sure, but Yusuf Nurkic getting hurt is a thing that seems to happen every year. Uh, it's uh, it's not bad luck. Seems to be a trend. Zach Collins, same way. That's a real friggin' bummer, but I can't blame a video game. Also, Dame, really good. On the cover, still a really good basketball player. So I, uh, <laughs> I appreciate the theory, but... Uh, 
I'm not, I'm not, I'm not joining you on that train. That's going to do it for this episode. The Blazers play some games this weekend. Friday evening, they'll play the Cleveland Cavaliers at home to finish out a three-game mini homestand with a chance to go 3-0. and uh, I was, earlier this week, if you listened to the podcast on a Monday, or maybe it was Tuesday, early, whenever it was, I said 2-1 and one is, is what you're aiming for. The Blazers are 2-0. and 2-1 and one is a lock. 3-0 and is very real. Then on Sunday, Valentine's Day, the Blazers head to Dallas play Luka Doncic and the Mavericks. And next week, a little home back-to-back Tuesday and Wednesday against the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Pelicans. Those are f- We had a fun week ahead. A fun week of basketball games ahead with a three-game road trip followed by a very, that comes on the heels of a very winnable game against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Players get good tests against solid Western Conference teams. OKC and, and New Orleans not in the playoff race right now, but tough teams. Dallas, terrible record, but playing better of late. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. You know where to find the show. If you want to be involved in Mailbag Monday or or the Mailbag sessions going forward, both Monday and then later in the week, tweet at me at Mike G. Rich. Email the show, lockedonblazerspot at gmail.com. A couple of you, and I really appreciate this. Have you disagreed with something I've said on the show? and you've sent me an email, and we've hashed it out or or uh, debated it further. So if you think I have a stupid-ass take, shoot me an email. Or if you don't want to chat anymore, just do me a favor and tell your friends about this podcast. Tell them they can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers will be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.